listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded at the ABA's National Summit on Innovation in Legal Services at Stanford Law School in Stanford, California. We're here to cover this event and its highlights for you, our listeners. And joining me now, I have four guests. I have uh, Miss Judith Rius. Did I get that correct? Perfect. Good morning. Excellent. Excellent. And I have uh, Mr. Ron Dolan. Welcome. And I have Mr. Dennis Wheel. Hi. Nice. Uh, thank you. And I have one more. I have uh, Professor Manny Madrano. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Well, great, you guys. Thank you so much for stopping by. Um, I heard that the event went very well downstairs from the grapevine, so I think a great presentation. I was not there myself, and that's why I want to learn a little bit about it. But before we get into it, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourselves? Where do you work and what do you do? And I guess, ladies first, we'll start with Judith. Hi. So my name is Judy Drews, and I work for Doctors Without Borders. I'm the U.S. manager and one of the legal policy advisors of a team within Doctors Without Borders that is called the Access Campaign. And Dennis? Uh, it's Dennis here. I'm currently an advanced leadership fellow at Harvard University doing research on uh, community-based innovation. Uh, most recently, I was a corporate vice president of design and innovation for McDonald's Corporation. Excellent. Ron? Um, legal technologist, uh, research fellow at Stanford Law, and uh, teaching at Notre Dame Law School as well. Now, you guys can sit next to each other. Harvard and Stanford can sit next to each other. Well, I'm actually moving over to Harvard anyway. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> professor Madrano. I'm uh, Manny Madrano from Pasadena, California, an, an adjunct law professor. And as a Harvard graduate, we are sandwiching <laughs> <laughs> my colleague, uh, Ron, here. I'm a trial lawyer and the founding partner of a white-collar criminal boutique law firm in Pasadena, California. Great, great. So now you all uh, presented at an event called Innovation Beyond the Legal Sphere. So who wants to tell me, in general, 50,000-foot terms what it was about? And we'll get into some specifics. Why don't I launch into that first? Great. It was my pleasure to be the moderator of this extraordinary panel And the goal was as follows, to bring in thought leaders, incredibly smart people who, frankly, are not doing the law 24-7, are not practicing law 24-7, because we were looking for interesting perspectives from people who are outside the legal profession. I've been a trial lawyer for 31 years. God bless lawyers. I love them. But we are inherently conservative. We are very risk-adverse to new ideas and innovation. And the magnificent goal of this summit is to help lawyers think outside the box to see what we can be doing to accomplish one critical goal, and that is as follows, to improve the delivery and access to legal services. And our panelists were stupendous today, just hit it out of the park. They had some marvelous, innovative ideas, and I found, I think the audience found our presentation uh, stimulating and thought-provoking. Well, what were some of the ideas? Well, let me turn it over to our panelists, uh, please. Uh, uh, Judith, why don't you get us started? Uh, so I think I basically represented um, a lawyer working for a non-legal organization like Doctors Without Borders with a public interest background, uh, basically, and a public interest focus uh, on how a lawyer working with doctors, with um, uh, researchers, innovators, is trying to increase access to knowledge goods, in this case, medicines, vaccines, uh, for population around the world, especially developing con- people living in developing countries. That's the population that MSF mostly focuses on serves. So I think some of the ideas and some of the challenges that I highlighted are um, 
the, the need to work in a multidisciplinary environment with non-lawyers, uh, the need to question the system and the innovation system as it relates to technological innovation, and the need for lawyers to also um, create incentives and law schools to create incentive for more lawyers to work in the public interest. Great, great. So. Uh, Working for Doctors Without Borders and, and looking at the legal profession, are you seeing a lot of similar, I guess, would it be, I don't know if it's setbacks is the right word, but similar problems as far as getting new technologies and new ideas to the, because uh, also I would have met, you know, the medical profession is also very conservative. I, I The people are anyway that I know. And so are there, are there similar, I guess, um, I don't know. I guess similar uh, barriers to getting new ideas in law as there are with the uh, medical profession? So I can talk to you as a lawyer, okay. <laughs> working with do with a lot of doctors. Um, I do I do see conservatism also in the medical professional uh, profession, of course. But I do think there is um, there there are a little bit ahead of us uh, in in really thinking about incentives, for example, for uh, um, doctors to work in uh, less paid environments, like to, for example, work in developing countries for a part of their careers, to serve underserved population for part of their careers, and building that within the incentive structures and making sure they can pay their debts as a students and they can really build that uh, as a part of, a, of their career. I also see doctors uh, sometimes questioning more the status quo and the system. Maybe because they are the ones that are potentially even more frustrated. Uh, for example, if you don't have access to a vaccine or a drug to treat patient, um, that that creates uh, that that basically creates an absolute barrier in the delivery of and, and the capacity to perform as a doctor. Uh, so they are maybe more um, willing to question um, the rules of the games, the rules of the innovation system, than lawyers that are potentially becoming enforcers of and, and kind of promoters of a system that is not really working so well. Well, um, in the distribution of knowledge goods. Great, great. What were some of the other ideas? I just want to build quickly on the systems and practices. A system is based on behaviors and beliefs, and um, very often when you work in that system for a long time, you don't even are aware of those anymore. But you, it's really is your curbs within you think and within you act. And in order to innovate, you need to break those. And um, one concept is the idea of orthodoxies, that really those beliefs and those behaviors used to be best practices when the profession started, and kind of a short code to be able to get be competent very quickly. But as the environment changed, you have not adjusted those. And then really they, be, they become and hold you back and need to be overturned, uh, as the example you brought from Dr. Thou Borders, in order to enable and free up for innovation. Do you think that has to do with some of the education that goes into being a doctor, also being a lawyer? I mean, it's built on precedent. You're built on a long history of we've done it this way. We get this result, you know, very empirical as it in terms of medicine, but very uh, precedential when it comes to comes to the practice of law. Do you think that psychology gets blazed into the minds of lawyers and doctors? And that's why we're seeing, you know, maybe perhaps uh, that inability to always think outside the box. It's a little bit circle on egg. I think that people who have that mentality are often drawn to the law in the first place. The issue is separating out the need for predictability within the substantive law, again, as I was talking about on the panel, from the re-implementation of the legal system, which it really allows for a much broader range of innovation. The orthodoxies that he's talking about, those are amenable to change, but then we start talking about something like innovator's dilemma. Uh, the issue is that if, when the incentive structures and the barriers have been built up around that mentality that says we don't want change, when change starts coming, it's, it's, it's blocked at every turn. 
So uh, this is well beyond just what we're doing in terms of training the law students. Uh, we, it's also the ecosystem that they enter when they leave school that really just does not permit the uptake of a lot of innovative ideas as they come forward. So, and it's different across, it's a, like as I had said, it's an ecosystem of barriers. So as, as a legal technologist and you know, someone that's working in a university setting, how are you breaking those barriers down? Uh, so I'm teaching legal technology and informatics so that students can understand the data flow of the legal system and start looking at the structure of it rather than just the substantive law component. And uh, I'm moving towards cross-disciplinary teams of engineers and lawyers so that we can start doing projects again and again. So that as I see these problems in startups, when you put, uh, Sus kind of said this, when you put a lawyer and an engineer in a room, you don't get a legal technologist. You need to train both of them to be able to work with each other so that they are better at thinking through some of the innovations that we're looking for. Uh, when your toolkit is limited, you you can't do a lot. So we're, we're working at retraining to get these law students to be able to think outside the box, to recognize the barriers, to see how to break things down, to, to really start thinking different and to take that out into the into the legal profession. And with regard to barriers, your question is an excellent because I, as the moderator, had the same question, so great minds think alike. <laughs> but I, let me anecdotally drive home a point first. I, I'm the rainmaker for my firm. Ask me what I learned in law school about how to develop business. Zip, nothing, nada. Because I wasn't trained, no one taught me anything. I had to learn that through mentors. So uh, analogously, I think that uh, uh, I've been practicing for over 30 years. The training we as lawyers receive is not really receptive to innovation and to trying new ideas. And one of the things that I loved about our panel this morning was that we're, we're trying to force lawyers to think in an innovative fashion. And it's like asking a lawyer, okay, you need to go do the, the half marathon, but no one taught you how to train for it and you really haven't trained for it, and yet you're being asked to come up with novel ideas. It's very difficult when you don't have that basic uh, training in the law school, as early as law school. I think it's necessary. I think it should somehow, some way, be part of a curriculum. Uh, probably a lot of law professors and deans would disagree with that, but I think that has to happen for us to move to the, to the next step, which is, at the end of the day, what can we as lawyers do to facilitate access to legal services? Uh, just uh, two thoughts on this. Um, I think law school focuses, as you said, mostly analytical, really strengthening the left side of the brain. And I think uh, you need to also train the right side um, and uh, then be able to access this. Because if you stick stuck in an analytical mindset, it's very hard to move into a creative and synthetic mindset. I wanted to get back to Juan quickly. I think that I think is missing, though. I love what you're doing with the technology and the lawyers. I think what will be better is there's also representative of the client or the user, protective, protective client, somebody who brings that the need in. So not just because you have two people on this, you have one on the constraint side, the law, you have one on the solution side, which is the uh, the technology. And I wish we could also add from my end the kind of need side. Let me just I fully agree. And actually, the design work that you've talked about is something that uh, worked with Margaret Hagen on at the D School, and now there's design classes going on at, at Stanford Law. And it, I agree with you, it is all about, it's not just what the law requires from a system, it's also how do you make these systems user feasible, that the interface to the legal system has been lawyers. Yes. And we're moving towards the interface to the legal system being maybe online or being systems, and we have to take a whole other look at 
how do we allow for people coming with legal problems to get those problems met? And again, I, I agree with you 100%. The innovation component is the empathy of people that are looking at problems and how do we build that into the systems that we're working on. So I'm hearing innovations in technology. I'm hearing innovations to improve access to law. You know, one of the things that uh, we, we just got back from covering uh, ABA Tech Show, you know, in Chicago, and that's about innovations in technology and using that in your practice to to uh, improve the delivery system of your services, to improve the way that you interact with your clients. There's a lot of communication development that's being done there. There's a lot of collaborative environments being developed there. Um, and, and so I guess... This, this next question is for each of you. Where do you think, and as, be as specific as you can, where do you think the greatest deficiencies in the practice of law are when it comes to innovation? Is it technology? You say access to services. Is it communication with the client? Where, where do the innovations need to take the highest precedent? I look at innovation from a different perspective, so maybe I'm not the best uh, person to answer that question. When I'm talking about innovation, is about how lawyers can be enables uh, or or barriers for innovation, meaning technologies, medicines, books, um, um, materials, knowledge goods, to be affordable, accessible to people. So it's about distribution of innovation technologies to people. And so I'm, I'm looking more as a lawyer, as a, an enforcer of a system or a changer of a system, a regulator or a question, uh, uh, somebody who asks questions and changes the system. So that's that's where I, the piece of work that I do on law and innovation. I'm not so focused on access to, um, to legal profession. I'm more focused on access to knowledge goods for population and consumers and, and patients around the world. I think the, I forgot what the ABI, ABA motto is. It's access to justice, something, what is it yeah. called? Uh, um, but uh, I just learned today, I'm not a lawyer, but I learned today that the, there's only 13% of the population actually gets the promise of the ABA. Um, so I think the idea, the focus of this conference on trying to democratize uh, access to law and support access support in the access lawyers uh, is the right goal. What you have to do to democratize, and coming from McDonald's, we, we are based in the democratization business, is you have to be willing to give up control uh, to the potential client, to the user, not having to go through the lawyer, as Ron said, the gatekeeper, and you have to provide choices. You can't just give one solution, I'm telling you. So you have to give transparency, you have to give a let, give some of the control to the potential client to choose what kind of services they want. Um, I'm going to just do my pitch again for quality metrics. If you're looking to give people choice, they need to know what they're choosing, so they have to be able to measure the cost against the quality. That gives them the value. So we see a lot of, uh, this is, uh, as I said before, whether it's corporate law, consumer law, legal aid, whether it's courts, measuring the quality of the work product and the legal services is absolutely crucial to busting open the barriers that we're seeing. I have a, f a final thought on this because I feel very passionately about this, and uh, I'm probably going to piss off lawyers, but let me do it anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think it. lawyers. I think lawyers, uh, in theory, absolutely subscribe to the concept, as Dennis was saying, right now, democratization of our legal industry. Let's have people access to lawyers. Great idea, but there's also something that applies to lawyers. Uh, you know the, the term NIMBY, not in my backyard. All right, I have a solution. You could fix it overnight virtually. There's some bar associations in the United States that do this. Uh, in, in the state of California, every three years I have to do 25 hours of continuing legal education to hold on to my, my bar number, to continue practicing law. How about this? 
let's instead of going to a boring class, uh, let's uh, have every lawyer in the state of California annually do 25 hours of of pro bono work. Do you realize how this would transform the legal industry in the state of California, how virtually overnight you'd have people with access to lawyers? And let me tell you, I'm a trial lawyer. I get a lot more from an educational experience of actually handling a matter, representing a client in a real-life situation versus sitting in a one-hour continuing legal education class. So this is a good example of where that's a great way to democratize the system, but lawyers, and look, I'm not judging people, but lawyers, the reaction is, whoa, what is this, forced labor? Why should I have to do this? I should have a say on whether or not I do pro bono work. But I think that's one example of a dramatic change that could take place overnight but the legal industry is, I think, loath to go down that road. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program for uh, for today here, but I want to uh, thank all of you for joining us. I think it's been very enlightening, and I want to uh, give you a chance to leave us with some contact information just in case uh, some of our listeners would like to follow up, ask some questions, get a little more information. So again, ladies first, we'll start with you, Judith. Do you want my email? Sure. Uh, <laughs> so um, thank you so much for having us uh, and for having me. Um, I think um, my last thought will be that um, lawyers can be enable uh, or can be a barrier to innovation, especially knowledge innovation. Um, I think we need to be um, enables and we need to be the, the changing force uh, in the current innovation system. And I'm hopeful that changes in the legal education and the legal profession, and also in the capacity, in the incentive system of how lawyers are being paid and how lawyers are being rewarded will allow us more lawyers to do that. My email, if you want to know more about what the access campaign of Doctors Without Borders does, is judith.rius at newyork.msf, Medicines and Frontiers, uh, .org. Dennis. Uh, my access is to Twitter at Dennis Weil without dot, just Dennis Weil, one N. Uh, Twitter, I'm at Legal Noise, not surprisingly, and uh, rap, my blog is on RadicalConcepts.com. Great. Please follow it. And Manny? Website, law firm, Medrano Carlton, M-E-D-R-A-N-O, Carlton, C-A-R-L-T-O-N.com, MedranoCarlton.com, and that's how you can track me down. Great, great. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.